0: Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Welcome to the Go and Teach Bible Study program presented by the Monta Vista Church of Christ in Phoenix, Arizona. We want to thank you for joining us today as we examine the truth of God's Word and the answers it holds to life's most important questions. If you have questions about this lesson or would like to study further, please contact us at montavistacoc.com. Now let's open our Bibles and study God's Word together. Thanks for joining me on the Go and Teach radio program. My name is Ryan Goodwin. I preach for the Monte Vista Church of Christ here in Phoenix, Arizona. One of the questions that preachers sometimes get asked is, if you knew it was going to be your last sermon, what would you preach about? Maybe another question that we get asked that's very similar is, if you had just one opportunity to sit down with somebody and talk to them, what would you say? If you just had somebody's undivided attention for 20 or 30 minutes what would you say? Well, none of us ever really knows when our last sermon is going to be, but I do get to have a little taste of that today. This is our last Go and Teach radio program. I've been participating in this work for about five years now, and our previous preacher, Ken Leach, did it for years before that. So I'd like to start off by acknowledging a few people. First of all, to everybody at 1010 AM, which is the Phoenix Metro Area's Family Values Radio Station, I want to say thank you for all the work that you've done. I want to thank in particular Ramon, the Programming and Operations Manager. I really appreciate all the work that you've done in, in helping us get this radio program on the air and maintaining it all these years. I want to thank you, the listeners. I appreciate every single one of you, even though we might not have ever met face-to-face, I appreciate that you've given your attention to me or to others who have been on this program in the past. I appreciate your interest in spiritual matters, your curiosity about God, and at times when you've had the courage to do it, your willingness to reach out to Monte Vista and ask us questions or to give us input about a program that we've done. And I want to thank all of our members at Monte Vista, your spiritual, emotional, and financial support has always been appreciated. And it's because of your willingness to give to our congregation that we're able to do works like this. Lastly, to everybody who's listening out there, whether it's your first time or you're a long-time listener or you're a member at the Montevista Vista Church of Christ or if you're just somebody who's seeking spiritual things, don't be a stranger at Monta Vista. That's my message to you. I want to encourage you to look into our congregation Even though we're going off the air in this format, there's a lot going on at Monte Vista that's really positive. We're a thriving, growing, diverse congregation, and we continue to provide great teaching in a lot of different ways, both online and in person. So if you'd like to find a congregation of just Christians, people who are seeking God, who want to understand him through his son, Jesus Christ, and his revealed word, and want to practice simple New Testament Christianity, then please look into our congregation. Visit us at a worship service sometime. Come to one of our Bible classes. Check out our website. Watch some of our incredible videos provided on YouTube or on our website. So please, don't be a stranger. But getting back to that original question that if I knew it was my last sermon, what would I preach about? And like I said, I, I don't really know when my last sermon is going to be. I'm fairly young and healthy, so I don't think I go into every Sunday assuming that it will be my last sermon, but this is my last radio program. So, in a way, this is my last opportunity to make an impression on you, the listener. This is my last opportunity in this setting or in this media, to tell you about Jesus. So, what should I talk about? How about we keep things simple, and we just talk about salvation? In Matthew chapter 19, there was a young, very rich man who came to Jesus and asked him a very simple question. Teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? And the same question has been asked by many from the first days until now. And it's one that has a certain degree of legitimacy. That people even ask the question at all is a sign that there's hope in the world for future generations. It shows that some people know there are things they must do. And that eternal life is something that cannot be realized without appropriate action on our part. In response to the question posed by this inquisitive man, Jesus answered in Matthew 19, verse 17... If you wish to enter life, keep the commandments. It's significant to note that Jesus believed that a life of inaction could never result in salvation. That you have to do something to enter eternal life. Now, you can't earn eternal life, and and we all understand that. Christians acknowledge that you can't earn salvation, but you must obtain it. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works that no one should boast. But my friends, even a free gift requires some kind of response on our part. There is, after all, a fundamental difference between the idea of earning salvation through our works and obtaining salvation as a response to the gospel message. So what do you need to do to be saved? Well, clearly you need to hear the word of God first. When asked what the greatest commandment is, Jesus Christ responds by saying in Mark chapter 12, verse 28, Hear, O Israel. So this it interesting, that even when he's asked what the greatest commandment is, Jesus responds, you've got to hear. Listen up. Now, the greatest commandment, of course, is that the Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. But even though that's the greatest commandment, if you never hear it, if you never know what it is, then you can't possibly keep that greatest commandment. Hear, O Israel, listen. If you want to know what the greatest commandment is, you first have to have open ears. So inherent in obedience to this law is hearing its words. Without the desire to listen to the message of the gospel, our actions in this life, well, they're worthless. We're told throughout the Bible that he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Matthew 11, verse 15. Revelation 13, verse 9. Furthermore, Jesus states in Luke 8, verse 21, My mother and my brothers are these who hear the word of God and do it. People who have a relationship with Jesus, his mother, his brothers, they're the people who hear the word and act upon it. In the truest sense of the word spiritual application, hearing means inviting the Word of God into your heart, either through reading the Bible or listening to its words spoken out loud. And it must come from the Word of God. You can't just believe whatever you want, you must believe the truth as it has been presented. Romans chapter 10, verse 18. But I say, surely they have never heard, have they? Indeed they have. Their voice has gone out into all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. There's no excuse for any person not to hear the word. After all, let us remember that Jesus said, Anybody who has ears to hear has an obligation to hear. In numerous accounts of people being saved in the book of Acts, hearing and believing the gospel always play an essential part. On the day of Pentecost, in Acts 2, verse 37, the people heard Peter preaching and were pricked to the heart. This soul-searching never would have happened had they not heard Peter's words. In Christ's prayer to the Father, he prayed for people who would believe in him by hearing the words of his apostles, John 17, verse 20. The faith of the Gentiles came in the same way because Peter said in Acts 15, verse 7, Brethren, you know that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe it. In Acts chapter 18, verse 8, many of the Corinthians, after hearing, believed and were baptized. Hearing the gospel message and belief Faith in the message, faith that that message is true. Those two things are linked as well. Go to Romans chapter 10 and notice here in verse 14. How then shall they call upon him, that is Jesus, in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And those are all very legitimate questions. How can you believe something until you have heard it? Go down to verse 17 of the same chapter, Romans 10. So faith comes from what? Faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. We must be willing to hear the message. And that's not just an audible thing because people can hear something without really hearing it. They can hear the noise. They can hear the words, but the words don't penetrate We must not have stubborn ears, as it says in Zechariah 7, verse 11 in the Old Testament. But they refused to pay attention and turned a stubborn shoulder and stopped their ears from hearing. And if we have willing ears, if we are willing to listen to the message of the gospel, then we will believe it because it is the truth and the truth shall set us free. We must believe that Jesus existed for all time at the right hand of God, infinitely inhabiting the same realm as the Father, John 1, verse 1, or Philippians 2, verse 6. We must believe that Jesus is who he claims to be, that is, the Son of God. In Acts 8, verse 37, as the Ethiopian eunuch is considering the options before him, he asks Philip if there's anything preventing him from fulfilling the command to be baptized. In response, Philip the Evangelist states that the only thing that could separate the Ethiopian from being baptized and saved that very day is whether or not he believes in Jesus. We must also believe in the resurrection of Jesus, which is considered of utmost importance to the Apostle Paul, as he makes very clear in his letter to the Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4, He makes it very clear here that that's the first lesson he tried to teach the Corinthians. That is that Jesus died and was raised. Later in that same chapter, in verses 16 and 17, he writes, But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. I like a passage here in Hebrews chapter 11. It talks about faith in this chapter, but I want to read a few things here. Beginning in verse 1, notice what he says here of faith. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the men of old gained approval. By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. Go on unto verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Let me read that verse again so it sinks in. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Now, the reason why I want to emphasize that is that of everything else that we're going to talk about today, everything else that you have to do in response to the gospel, it's all pointless if you don't believe. If you do not believe with all your heart that God is exactly who he claims to be, that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus was raised from the dead so that we too could be raised in newness of life, if you do not believe the witness of the scriptures, if you do not believe then there's nothing you can do to be saved. Action by itself, action without genuine conviction, is empty action. Notice the way Jesus puts it. In Mark 16 and verse 15, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved. But he who is disbelieved shall be condemned. And I know that sometimes people will look at that verse and they see that second clause there, but he who is disbelieved shall be condemned. They look at that second clause and say, Well, Jesus never included baptism there. That means baptism is not necessary for salvation. But that's not the argument Jesus is making. The fact that Jesus does not include baptism in that second clause is to me meaningless. I think what Jesus is saying is if you believe and you're baptized, you will be saved. But if you don't believe, then nothing else you do matters. He doesn't have to say, but if you don't believe and don't be baptized, if you disbelieve or you refuse baptism, that doesn't mean anything. It's immaterial. Because if you don't believe, then it doesn't matter. And somebody could go through this, the empty ritual of being baptized. But if they don't believe, all they've done is gotten wet Peter makes the same point in his epistle. In 1 Peter chapter 3, notice the way he puts it here. In 1 Peter 3 and verse 21. And corresponding to that, baptism now saves you, not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, hearing the message and believing it is not all that you're asked to do. The gospel calls us to other things, other steps that we must take. Not to earn salvation, but to put ourselves in a position to receive that gift from God. We must confess. There's no way that we can be saved unless we're willing to confess Jesus as Lord. Jesus could not have put it more simply when he says in Matthew chapter 10, verse 32, Everyone therefore who shall confess me before men... I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever shall deny me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. Just believing in Jesus, that's not enough. That has to be a public belief, a confessed belief, an open belief in Jesus. And if you're not willing to confess Jesus, even though you might believe in him, if you're not willing to confess Jesus, before others, then that belief has not changed anything in you. That belief has not resulted in anything. Paul agrees with this in Romans chapter 10, where he writes here in verse 8. Romans 10, verse 8. But what does the scripture say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching. Verse 9. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses. And pay attention here, my friends. And with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. Salvation does not happen without confession. You must confess your belief in Jesus. So we hear the word of God, we believe in the message therein, And we are willing to confess that belief before other people. These things are all necessary to be saved. But is that it? Is that all that's asked of us? Go to Acts chapter 2 verse 38 now. In the New Testament, in Acts chapter 2 verse 38. Now the Apostle Peter has been preaching to a very large crowd of people. These people are all gathered in Jerusalem at the temple for the day of Pentecost, one of the great holy days of the Jews. Now while they're there, they get an earful from the apostle who teaches them who Jesus is. And he explains to them that it was their own actions, it was their choice that sent Jesus to the cross, a man who was innocent of all sin, but who died on behalf of everybody. And they are pierced to the heart. They say there, what must we do? Broken hearted as they are, knowing, fully convicted that they are sinners in the eyes of God. What must we do? Not, not what could we do or what do you think we ought to do or what can we do? What must we do? And in response, Peter says there in Acts chapter 2, repent. And let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. We see that repentance is necessary. What must we do? We must repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus. We see that repentance leads to, this, leads to forgiveness in Acts chapter 5, verse 31. Peter says, Christ is the one whom God exalted to his right hand as a prince and a savior to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Repentance also leads to knowledge in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 25. We must repent of our sins. Now, in the Greek, which is the primary language of the New Testament, the word for repentance is metanoia, which literally means to perceive something after it has been done and to change one's mind. And the common usage of the word always suggests not just a change of mind or attitude, but a change of action as well. And every single time that it's used in the New Testament, it is referring to a change of action for the better. So we look at our own life, messed up as it was. All the mistakes that we've made, all the people we've disappointed, all the ways as Romans 3:23 puts it that we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we look at that broken life. Something has to change. Our behaviors have to change. Not just that we feel sorry for what we've done, but that we feel sorry to the point of a change. If you'd like several other passages to study on your own time, the second half of Ephesians chapter 4 and Colossians chapter 3, those are both really good passages that talk about the differences between the old life and the new. The things that we leave behind or put behind us, the actions and bad attitudes We've got to cast those aside and replace them with the way of God to become holy people. Now, as Acts 2 verse 38 puts it, it's not just repentance, but the next part of that statement is repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. The word that's used in the New Testament for baptism is baptisma. That's the noun and baptiza for the verb. According to the Dictionary of the Bible, that's Vine's Dictionary of the Bible, the noun form means consisting of the processes of immersion, submersion, and emergence. Notice it's a whole process. Being baptized is immersion, so going in, submersion, staying under, and emergence, coming out. The most important aspect of this definition is that it entails the entire process of entering, staying, and exiting the place of burial. The Apostle Peter was there when our Lord Jesus gave the commission to preach to all the nations. So he understood very well what was inherently involved in making disciples. In Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, you make disciples by baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the and the Holy Spirit. And that is exactly what Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. And as a result of that preaching in Acts chapter 2, several thousand people were baptized and added to the Lord's church. Philip was another preacher of the word of God who understood the details of baptism. Because on more than one occasion, Philip was instrumental in convincing others to get baptized. In Acts chapter 8 verse 12, it says that when they believed Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, men and women alike. When they believed, look at the way that belief and action are connected to each other. They believed the preaching about the good news, but that wasn't all they did. That wasn't the end of the story. They believed and they responded to that belief by being baptized, men and women alike. Galatians 3 verse28 states that in Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free man, there's neither male nor female, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. But what is the thing that puts us into Christ Jesus? How is it that we're all one in Christ Jesus? We'll go to the very previous verse there in Galatians 3:27, "For all of you who were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourselves with Christ. All of you who are baptized, have clothed yourselves with Christ. At the point of baptism, you are in Christ. And one cannot separate baptism from the kingdom. Romans chapter 6 makes it clear that it is in our baptism that we are connected to Jesus. Just as he died, was buried and raised up in newness of life. So we put the old man to death, we're buried in a watery grave, baptism, and we're also raised up in newness of life. So we'll end with Acts chapter 22 verse 16. What a fitting place to end for our last Go and Teach radio program. And now why do you delay? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. I implore you to listen to the gospel message and respond to it exactly as the New Testament prescribes. Thank you for joining us today. To hear this program again, please visit our website at montavistacoc.com. If you're in the Phoenix area, come visit us at the Montavista Vista Church of Christ. We're located at 2202 North 40th Street. We have Bible classes for all ages each Sunday morning at 9.30 and again on Wednesday night at 7.00. For more information about the Monte Vista Church of Christ or to request a personal Bible study, please go to MontevistaCOC.com.